Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be diving into John chapter number 7, beginning in verse number 1. We're going to read down to verse number 24 for the first section of our day as we discover Jesus at the temple for the Feast of the Tabernacles. Also known, maybe in your Bible, there's a caption there that says, Feast of Booths. And we're, we're going to kind of discover what this feast is and what it kind of represented, and then we're going to see where Jesus fits into the whole scenario, and we're also going to realize that at this particular point, that Jesus is going to be in a situation where, where he is sought after to be arrested and to be killed, and so it'll be very important for us to be able to uh, grab a hold of the reason why Jesus does some of the things that he does in our reading today. So with that, we're just going to turn to the Lord, asking for his blessings be upon us, and then we're going to dive right in. Father, we are thankful for everything you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of this day and for the opportunities in it to be able to receive from your word the glory of the Lord. We pray that you will continue to reveal to us those beautiful little nuggets we're able to take with us into the world as we go from day to day, because your word is so rich. God bless us. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we come to the reading, we begin in verse number one. And after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said to him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that you do. For there is no man that does anything in secret, and he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is all, always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, but it hates me, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. You go up unto this feast. I got. I don't go yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. And when he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, He's a good man. Others said, No, but he deceives the people. Howbeit no man spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of myself. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep the law? Why go ye about to kill me? (laughs) 
the people answered and said, You have a devil who goes about to kill you. And Jesus answered and said to them, I have done one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And you on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receive circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. <laughs> you can already see at the beginning of John chapter number 7 how Jesus is just going to make so many friends in in the coming scriptures. <laughs> and he even tells his own brethren uh, uh, that he that he's a straight shooter. We'll look at that here in just a second. That that the reason why the world doesn't hate them is because they they just mingle into the world. But the reason why the world hates Jesus is because he tells it the truth. <laughs> so the scripture comes down, and and as we go back up into verse number one, it says, "After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he wouldn't walk in Jewry." Now, the, this concept of Jewry means that he would he, he dwelt in Galilee because this was a land that was north of Samaria, and this was a land that was uh, separated from the Jews. And the walking in Jewry means that being surrounded by the Judeans specifically. Remember of the 12 tribes of Judah, the northern 10 tribes came under captivity by Assyria well, a long time back in the B.C.s, and ultimately were dissolved into the Assyrian nation and the nations around them so that the the two tribes of the south as remaining uh, faithful to the temple of Judah and, and Benjamin, the, the two tribes of the south, they, they were known as Judeans or as Jews. Now, they despised, I mean, just utterly despised those, those tribes to the north as believing that they were tainted, that they were defiled, that they were intermingled within the Gentile world, and so that they had no claim, no right uh, to to the temple, no claim or right to Israel anymore as they had been dissolved into the nations. So the, the Judeans, or as otherwise known as the Jewry, were were very adamant about Jesus and, and their desire to kill him, one, because he had lived, come from, essentially in their belief, he had come from Galilee up in Nazareth, and was among the those that were intermingled with the Gentiles. So they, they didn't really uh, desire Jesus to begin with, because though he was born in Bethlehem, and though that could be proven of his birth in Bethlehem, and he in fact would be a Jew of the Jewry, he's not welcome in, within that society. And in fact, they all want him dead. So in this place, you see that and it reaches a point where he's no longer able just to go into Judea. He's no longer able to go into Bethany. He's no longer able to go into his birthplace there in Bethlehem because of the amount of friction that exists in the desire for his death. But in verse number two, you see that the Feast of the Tabernacles is at hand. Now remember, there are three principal feasts. 
that require pilgrimage as according to the Torah or the, the law of God. As he, would, he was uh, teaching in the temple, he said, Moses gave you the law. Well, there, there are three principal feasts that are necessary for pilgrimage of the Israelite people, rather they're of the northern kingdoms, rather they're of the southern kingdoms, to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, we talked about that back in chapter number 5, coming into chapter number 6, that it was necessary to go to Jerusalem. And here is the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, the very first feast, which is recognized in those two chapters, was Passover. Now, the, the Feast of Pesach, or recognized as Passover, is going to happen somewhere between April, uh, March and April. Uh, as, as the Hebrew calendar is, is essentially 30-day months, it, it doesn't quite line up with our 365-day a year with our 30- and 31-day month uh, cycle. So, it, it's generally between March and April that, that Passover is going to be recognized as it'll be on the first, the first month for, for the Israel or the Hebrew people. It'll be the first month on the religious calendar side of the 14th day. So they go. Because with Passover is the Feast of the Tabernacle, or Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, which is, which is Hagmatzot. So you know that this, this is a period of time where for eight days they're in Jerusalem. And so it's Passover, Hagmatzot, and Reshit, which is a Feast of Firstfruits. So this is the first feast that they must travel. The second one is found 50 days later from the time of the Passover, which is recognized as Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. Also, we know it as Pentecost, as was written in Acts chapter 2. It is required, again, of a pilgrimage on the, that 50th uh, week from the, the Passover. It's required of that particular uh, time, or 50th day, I should say, uh, that all Israel is recognized at the temple for the time of the, the wave and heave offerings that they give unto the Lord or the first fruits of the, the grain offerings that they have. Then you, you go to the High Holy Feast, which is at the first month of the civil calendar year, which happens somewhere between September-October, and it's at the third feast of this particular time, which is recognized as the Feast of Tabernacles, which is where we're at right now with Jesus. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is really exciting because what happens in that feast is, is that the Israelites will build a temporary structure. They'll set it up uh, every night. They'll leave the comforts of their home. They'll enter into this temporary little room kind of structure that they've built. They'll celebrate, uh, they'll eat together, they'll, they'll rejoice. It's recognizing that those things that they believe to be permanent are actually temporary, and the things of this earth are not to be treasured compared to the things that are coming in, in the treasures of heaven. <clears throat> and so no matter how wealthy the, the Israelite is, no matter how poor the Israelite is, a tabernacle is constructed, and, and they rejoice in the Lord for the blessings that they have received in it. And this particular feast goes on for eight days. <clears throat> now, we come down, and, and of course in this feast is a really neat thing that is done with this feast unlike any others, is that every day for eight days the, the, the priest is going to walk out to 
uh, a local pool, rather it be the pool of Bethesda or the pool of Siloam there by the, the temple, they will walk out to the pool. They will get a pitcher of water filled up. They will walk back into the temple and they will pour it into the labor. And so we'll no doubt in John chapter number eight, there's going to be an explanation about that because it's where Jesus reveals that he's that living water that anyone who would come to him would, would not shrivel up or dry up, but have a well of water in them spring up to everlasting life. So we'll, we'll hold on to that, that particular part until we get there. But if you want some more information about this particular feast of tabernacles, you can go to Leviticus chapter number 23. And all seven feasts plus the Sabbath is spelled out for you in Leviticus chapter number 23, which is really exciting. And then, of course, throughout the law, you're going to find specific uh, mentions of these feasts and what is to be done, what is to be offered, how it's to be offered, and, and, and everything else in the book of Leviticus uh, specifically. So it's, it's a great study, the feasts of the tabernacle, something that we'll get into here at Martin uh, when the Lord opens the door for it. So praise the Lord. But nevertheless, you'll find this challenge that, that comes to him in verses 3 and 4. It says, His brethren therefore said to him, Depart, depart from here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may be able to see the works that you're doing because they, they challenged him. He said, No one does the anything in secret. He says, uh, that he doesn't want to be known openly. He says, now, if you're going to do these things that you do, then go show yourself to the world. Hey, if you're the Messiah, let it be known to the world. Hey, if you're if you're the Son of God, why wouldn't you tell everybody? Quit hiding in a hole. Get out there and let, let them see you. Of course, if you would recognize in verses 3 and 4 that there would be a measure of temptation of Satan coming through his own brethren. Uh, be, be advised about these brethren. We're talking about people like Jude, who wrote that, that little letter uh, of Jude just before Revelation. We're talking about people like James, who wrote the book of James. is just before, you know, in the Bible, just after Hebrews. We're, we're talking about those disciples that were closest to him, like Peter and, and James and John and Andrew. We're talking about... All of these these people who have been with him, who have experienced miracles, who experienced the feeding of the 5,000, who experienced the healings, who experienced the devils being cast out of people, and, and all of these things. And so they're, they're, they're literally kind of being used of the devil. And by the way, this is the importance of, of recognizing that no matter how uh, godly a person you are, no matter how close to Christ you desire to be, it doesn't change the fact that at any given time that old devil can slide right in through you to to push a temptation upon somebody or to put, uh, push somebody away. Because his own brethren were sitting there saying, "Look, what if you, look if you're the Christ, then go show yourself." I mean, why are you hiding? Why do you keep this back from people? And, and the problem is revealed in verse number five. Neither did his brethren believe in him. Now, this is a hard thing, uh, being as that Peter already said back in chapter number six. Well, who are we going to turn to? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. I mean, who are we going to go to? And Peter's already the one that jumped out the boat, walked on the water, and was saved by Jesus, pulled back in the boat as Jesus was walking on the water. 
Yeah, all of these different scenarios that they've already gone through and experienced with Jesus and still they don't believe in him. See, this is one of those reasons why signs and miracles and, and much of the charismatic movement trying to uh, discern the spirit and trying to be filled emotionally and all of this other stuff, that's, that's why none of that stuff is ever going to work. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are to be a people who have come to the Lord and reasoned the scriptures. We are to be a people that are strengthened and and empowered, not by all of these things we believe to have seen and experienced, but by the teachings of God's word. Because our feelings will lie to us. They will waver. They will change at at, at the drop of a dime in an instant. But the word of God remains true. And, and the word of God doesn't depend on how we feel in a moment. Truth is truth, and we can, we can actually depend on the truth of God regardless of what we're going through. Rather, we're going through trials, rather, we're going through separations and grief from pain of, of, of separation of loved ones, rather, we're going through uh, challenges of physical pain and, and anguish in a moment, rather, we're going through all of whatever it is, whatever emotions, whatever feelings we're, we're battling with, we can always turn to God's Word. We can always separate ourselves from those feelings, from those emotions to to the Word of God, and He will be our strength in that time of weakness. He will be our our everything that is needed. But when we chase after all these miracles and all these other things, then, then ultimately we're going to be defeated. Ultimately, we're going to be let down. We're going to to lose our ground because it's sinking sand because it, it'll never be enough. Jesus could never do enough. Jesus could never could never cause enough miracles to happen that people would remain stalwart and faithful to him. Only those that received his word, only those that followed his teachings remained at the end even of his of his crucifixion. It was only those that stayed true to his word that remained. And so you find that even his brethren didn't believe in him. Well, what do you do when your brethren don't believe in you? (laughs) I mean, the people that you've been caring for, the people that you've been leading, the people that you've been, that you've been with all of these, these years to this point, you're at about, well, you're coming up on the third year of his ministry anyways, because pretty soon we're going to enter into the teachings in the upper room and he's going to get crucified. So, You've been with this people for as many times, as much as much hours devoted to their particular teaching and, and revealing, and they still don't believe in you. I, it's just amazing. Well, Jesus instructs them once more from verses 6 to 8, and Jesus said, my time has not yet come. In other words, there is coming a time where I will be revealed to the world. And by the way, that'll be with nails in his hands and in his feet, uh, being hung up on a cross after having gone through an excruciating trial that would last approximately 12 hours while being beaten and having flesh torn from his body with the whips. Uh, it wasn't yet. And so Jesus said, my time hasn't come yet. But then Jesus instructs them, your time is always ready. He says, you go, 
You show the people who I am. You go and represent me because your time is always ready. But my time is not ready, not come. He said, the world cannot hate you. It cannot hate you. Now, it will hate the message you bring to it. Say in our modern day, the world doesn't necessarily hate me, but it despises the message that I would bring to it. So if I would quit talking about Jesus, I could easily be accepted by the world. If, if I would quit living a life that exemplified Jesus and get back into the drinking and the smoking and the, and the rebel rousing, well, the world would absolutely treasure having me to be a part of it. And it would treasure you, having you as a part of it. Now, you the world may treasure some of you because you might be a Christian on Sunday, but then jump back into the world from Monday to Saturday and no one could tell the difference. If that's the case, then you need to repent. And if that upset you, then you can understand why the world is angry with me even right now. Is because I'm going to tell the world the truth of its circumstances, which is lost, separated from God, and in danger of hellfire if it doesn't repent. But that's just the truth. And in fact, it's the love of God that would reveal that truth to the world. Think about God if indeed he despised mankind and hated them for everything that they were, that he wouldn't have given his, his word. We wouldn't have a Bible. We wouldn't know any different. We would live a debased life. When we died, we'd burn in hell wondering what in the world is going on and why it happened. And, and it would be simply at the displeasure or hatred of God that that would be the case. But because God so loved the world, God told the world, and God continues to convict the world. And the way in which he convicts the world is through the message of the gospel that's coming out of you, if indeed you're brave enough to preach, and it's coming out of me, who indeed am, am, am brave enough to preach. <laughs> And so that the world is, is going to hate us, not because of who we were or, or who we are as it was. They hate us because of the message we bring and the life we exemplify in Christ. So that Jesus would say, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that the works are evil. Now, this is why the world doesn't like Jesus. This is why the, the Jewry, as we saw in verse 1, this is why the Jewry want him dead. It's because he testifies to the falseness of their teachings. He testifies to the, the fakeness of their religion. He testifies to the error of their doctrine. And then all of these things, a people that have been corrected instead of humbling themselves to recognize the error of their ways, become enraged with anger. And the only other answer is to kill this man who is refuting everything that they're doing to get rid of him so that they can continue doing what they're doing. Now, the amount of rage that would come out of these people is because of the testimony of Jesus is true. It's the conviction that is in their heart that they know that they're doing wrong, but they're choosing to do it anyway, that when Jesus shines a little light on that, that they become enraged and they want him dead. Well, that's fair enough. That same testimony is for us. There are many ways in which in our younger years, or maybe you're still doing this today, and this is where you cut the video off because you're angry. 
uh, at me because I'm about to testify of you. But the reality is, is that there are plenty of things that we have done that we know that were wrong. We know that we shouldn't have done them. We know that they they were going to cause harm or cause problems in people's life. We just didn't care. We, we wanted to see people suffer. We wanted to do those things, and it didn't matter who it was going to affect. And so that we had it settled in our heart, we were going to do it, we did it. And then when somebody came up and they started telling us about the things that we were doing, how that they were wrong, or maybe they were evil, or maybe maybe trying to help us change, we got so offended at those people. We got so angry with them that they would dare say that we were doing anything that was bad because we wanted it to be good. So we decided it was good. And so anybody that would say anything about it that would be contrary to what we decided then those people would be bad. Well, <laughs> that's exactly what Jesus is having to face. And that's exactly what the Christian in this world will have to endure. Because the world doesn't think that it's bad. And the reason why it doesn't think that it's bad is because it doesn't want it to be bad. It knows that it's doing wrong. It knows that the things that it's doing is bad. But it doesn't want them to be. So it's decided that they're not. And so any Christian that comes along and explains or refutes uh, particular teachings such as evolution, oh, refute evolution, you'll find uh, you're in a hornet's nest pretty quick. Or refute some of the other teachings that might exist inside of academia or, or, or any, anybody else that, that you know are in error according to the Scripture, and, and they're going to be mad at you. They're not going to want to have anything to do with you. And they're going to mock you, and they're going to persecute you, and they're going to laugh at you and throw you out. Because they know they're doing wrong. They just don't want it to be wrong. Their heart has accused them of the error. Remember, Romans chapter 2, verse number 15 says that the law of God is written upon every heart to accuse or excuse this person. So, now, in that we follow the Word of God, the law that is written in our heart excuses us to the, the crimes that we have, have committed in sin of our past is recognizing that we have uh, the blood of Christ that has covered us from that moment. So when Satan attacks us and tries to make us feel like an absolute wretch, we can always look at Satan and say, hey, say all you want about the law, but the Lord has excused me from the, from the penalty of that law, having taken it upon himself in my place as I have received his life because he took my death. So deal with it, buddy. <laughs> but we also know that in those moments where we succumb to temptations, that, that we are stuck with a situation of accusation from the Holy Spirit inside of us, accusing us of the error of our ways, bringing a conviction upon us for the hope of changing, that we need to change. So th these are very important points that we recognize, and, and the world is going to hate us because of the testimony that we carry in Christ. It makes known that the works of this world are evil. So Jesus finishes off by saying in verse number 8, "Go, y'all go up to this feast. He said, I'm, I'm not going up yet, for my time has not yet fully come. In other words, if I go up and everybody sees me, I'll get arrested and then it's not time for that yet. So I am coming. Uh, Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't dare miss the Feast of the Tabernacles because that would be a violation of the law. He says, I am coming, but in secret. 
Now, after he had said these words, in verse number 9, he comes down, he says, After he said these words to them, he stayed in Galilee. His brethren got up and took off and went down to the feast. And But then in verse 10, it says, Jesus went also unto the feast, but not openly, but as it were in secret. So Jesus is there. He's just not known to be there. It isn't a big spectacle that he showed up. Now, the Jews looked for him at the feast. Now, this this is funny. They looked for him at the feast and said, where is he? The reason why they're looking for him is because they know he's got to be there. They know if indeed he is the Messiah, if he is the Son of God, then then he must attend this feast. He cannot violate the law. And so they know that he's he's bound to show up or he's got to be there at, at somehow. Somebody's got to see him. So they sought for him in the feast. They said, where is he? And, and of course, from their seeking for Jesus, there's a lot of murmuring. Now, remember what we said about murmuring was that talking under the breath so that only the people closest to you or that you want to hear are listening in the conversation that you're having, but not the whole of the people, just a few. So there, there was much murmuring that was happening among the people concerning him. For some said, he's a great man. Indeed, there would be some that would would be in agreement with what Jesus was doing, not because of what Jesus necessarily was teaching, but because of the miracles that Jesus performed. Rather, it was the healing of the lame man or, or as it was, the, the feeding of the 5,000. You might have some of those guys that were of the 5,000 that were fed. And so there, there were multitudes of miracles that had taken place where the people are saying, well, Jesus has got to be, he's a good man. But there were plenty more who were on the other side in verse 12 that said, no, he deceives people. He's, he's using the power of Satan to heal these people. He's using the power of Satan. He's a deceiver and he's deceiving people. So it, it, nobody, as it shows in verse number 13, nobody was willing to speak openly of Jesus because everybody was afraid of the Jews that were seeking for him so as to be mistaken in identity as being Jesus, that you would be just viciously grabbed a hold of and slapped down to the ground and stomped on and beat to death, even though you weren't Jesus. And then nobody was going to stop them, and nobody was going to say anything after you were dead because it was a, it was a mob riot, so, so to speak. And so to try and find any one particular criminal wouldn't have done them any good. So Nobody wants to speak openly about Jesus for fear that they would be either arrested, they would be beaten on the scene, or that they would be killed somehow. Now, in the middle of the feast, about the midst of the feast, as it shows, in the middle of the feast, now Jesus has been there the whole time, and this particular feast of of tabernacles is an eight-day feast. At the beginning of it, you have a Sabbath, and at the end of it, you have a Sabbath. So, right about the fourth day, which will be in the middle of it, Jesus goes into the temple, and he just starts teaching. <laughs> I think that's great. He just walks in, he starts starts teaching. And in, in 15, it shows the, the Jews marveled. Now, keep in mind, the Jews, this is dealing with the Judeans who lived around the temple on a regular basis, that lived in, in, the, in the tribe of Judah, this is a this is a people who are mostly a learned people. Uh, could have been a lot of Pharisees or Sadducees involved with this group. 
And they marveled, saying, How does this man know the letters, having never learned? Now, he had never gone through their synagogue schools. He had never gone through a, the schools at the temple, except for when he was 12 years old, and he was questioning the, the Sadducees, and, and they were marveling at the wisdom that he had. But he was not a man that was known to have gone through any particular rabbi uh, of of known accreditation. So, so essentially, Jesus was considered a country bumpkin that that had never learned anything. It doesn't know anything. That 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 didn't make sense. How he could not only read these scrolls, the Hebrew, not only could read, but was able to understand the sense of what was written and to be able to to preach or proclaim the the reality of those things that that were the teaching of them. So the same thing happens often in our Christian circles in the modern day, whereas churches are looking for someone to to become their pastor, often they're searching through uh, education. So you'll see these, these different uh, posts for for positions for pastor, and they say, well, uh, you know, at least five years of experience already being a pastor, and and a minimum of a master's of divinity degree, and preferred a doctorate degree. The assumption that is happening with with these congregations is that the higher the degree a person particularly has, the more knowledge they're going to be able to bring to us is concerning what the Word of God says. But the issue behind that is, and I take issue with it, now understand I do carry a master's degree of divinity in it, and, and I've, I've done those things simply because in order to be able to be recognized even by by churches today instead of people seeking a person through the Holy Spirit and trusting in the guidance of the Lord, they're looking for worldly things. They're looking for that piece of paper. And so a person that wants to bring the Lord to them often has to do these uh, side things to be able to be recognized, to be able to bring the Lord to them. And, and so they say, well, this person has a master's degree. Okay, we'll take them. Well, that person only has a bachelor's. Nope, we're not interested in that. Well, this person doesn't have any recognized seminary at all. Well, nope, we're not interested in that. Now, the odds of that person that didn't have any seminary at all, but still is a pastor, is probably one of the guys that I would look into the most, is because their teaching, their their training most likely came directly from the Lord, just like Jesus right here. But, said, nope, that, that's not the education that we're looking for. We want a master's degree and prefer a doctorate. So they say, well, this person has a master's, this person has a master's. And then they go, oh, this person has a doctorate of ministry degree. Oh, this person is a PhD. Yeah, they're top of the line. We're going to call them right now. And, and, and it's so funny because oftentimes you can be educated beyond your own intelligence and oftentimes yes they can reciprocate and tell you everything that they learned from the seminary and they they can utilize all of their seminary knowledge to interpret the bible according to that seminary's way of interpretation but 
oftentimes and I've discovered that, that that none of this is according to the Holy Spirit, though it's attributed to the Holy Spirit. It's actually just based off of the way in which you were taught to study the Bible, the way in which you were taught to craft a message for the pulpit, the ways in which you were taught. So it's all seminary grounded. And, and so it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting what the Lord would have for you to get. It just means that you're going to get everything that the seminary that that person came from is going to give you. <laughs> and so the, the, these Jews in the point in verse 15, marveling at Jesus because he didn't go through uh, the synagogue schools, even in Galilee, he didn't have a recognized rabbi like the Apostle Paul would be known by his his rabbi, his instructor of Gamaliel. Uh, they, they, he was well-respected and known. So the Apostle Paul is well-respected and known because of his his mentor. Uh, but Jesus doesn't have this rabbi that, that is connected to the school. Jesus doesn't have this temple uh, training and education. Jesus is, is essentially just this guy that just showed up on the scene that's been causing all these problems, but there's no way to refute what he teaches because according to what he's taught, we it's the Word of God. He's right in what he teaches, and they marvel at this. How does this man know the letters? He's never learned. Well, Jesus explains it to him. He says, um, guys, my doctrine is not mine. So when, when you look at this concept in verse number 15, how does, how does this man know letters? Well, the letters being referred to here isn't the Hebrew letters. I mean, obviously, you learn to read Hebrew, write Hebrew, and speak Hebrew. But the letters that's being referred to here is doctrine. It's the, it's the systematic teachings of the points of Scripture, the fundamentals of belief from the Scriptures, doctrine. And Jesus tells him, he says, I, basically, I know these things because they're given to me by my Father, the Holy Spirit. And so he says, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Now, this is the truth often behind when I share the Word of God and people start to fuss at me saying, how dare you say these things? You, you, need, to, you need to be kinder. You need to be sweeter, whatever it is. And, and, and the reality is, is that I have to stand in the same place with Jesus at this point is to say that my teachings, that my, my doctrine is not mine. It didn't have anything to do with Jason. It has everything to do with the Word of God and Jesus. He said, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me belongs to the Father. He said, If any man would do the Father's will, him that sent Jesus, he shall know of the doctrine. In other words, if there be a situation where there is a differentiation between the doctrine, if, if somebody says, Well, I don't agree with you, I believe this. And, and you say, Well, I believe this. Well, one of you is wrong, or both of you are wrong. But God is right. God is always true. And we see that if any man will, will follow the Lord, then he'll know the doctrine because the doctrine is from God. So it's one Lord, it's one faith, right? It, it's the ones of Ephesians chapter number four. It's one God and the Father. 
And so it's very important to understand that that there is only one true interpretation to anything that you would find in the Word of God. In other words, like like the arguments I used to have with my dad all the time, my dad would say, well, that's the way the Word of God is spoken to you, but it speaks to me in a different way. Or that's the way you interpret it, but I interpret it a different way. No, 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 no. This is an error because it means that we have two different spirits. Well, which one of us is filled with the Holy Spirit at that point? Because through the same Spirit, we receive the same interpretation of the same Word of God that we have before us. So that there are not multitudes of ways that we can see any given Scripture, but one way through the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is making this point. He said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. And if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it's of God or whether I speak of myself. You're going to know, whether it be true or whether it be false. He says, He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that seeks his glory that sent him. You're seeking the glory of God. The same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So in that prosperity gospel that exists to glorify Joel Osteen or to glorify Rick Warren or to glorify uh, the Hillsong brand with this music charismaticism or, or whatever different uh, glorifications can be raised up about a particular church organization or a particular pastor or a particular group, this is not of God. This is not the doctrine that comes from the Lord. For it's a glorification of self. It's a glorification of man and of his ability and of his work. And so he comes down and he says, But he that seeks the glory of the Lord that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Now, Jesus smacks him a little bit here. He says, Did not Moses give you the law? Oh, Jesus come on the law, didn't he? Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep the law? Now you know why they're ready for him to die. He says, why do you go about to kill me? I mean, the scripture is very clear. Thou shalt not kill. (laughs) And that came from Moses. Really, I mean, Moses was the carrier, but that was written by the finger of God in a stone. You do not keep the law. If you're seeking to kill me. And what do the people say? Instead of getting the conviction from what Jesus said at that moment, none of you keep the law because you're trying to kill me. Instead of the conviction of waking up from the law and saying, you know what, the law says that we shouldn't kill and that, you know, Jesus is right. And, and, And that humbling. See, they responded to that conviction with anger. And bursting out of them, they said, you have a devil. You have a devil. And then they say, who goes about to kill you? In other words, what are you talking about we're trying to kill you? Who, who's looking to kill you? Uh, let me go back up a few scriptures where they're saying, where is Jesus? <laughs> they're looking for to kill him. We are a contradiction unto ourselves. We are a contradiction. And that when we're discovered in a sin in our life, we backpedal to try and hide and say, no, no, I don't do that stuff. I'm not like that. But in secret, that's exactly what we are. 
and Jesus knows it. Well, I'm done for the day. Uh, you can finish off 21 to 24, uh, and we'll we'll pick up tomorrow, or not tomorrow, that's Saturday, and I don't do this on Saturday, but we'll pick up on Monday with verse number 25, and can this be the Christ? We'll pick up there, uh, but you have a great weekend, and yes, God bless. Father, we thank you and praise you for the blessing of this day, for this teaching. We ask that it soak into our soul, that we would consider in our correction from the Lord and in the conviction that follows, that we would respond in humility, Lord, that we would find ourselves before you in prayer, seeking repentance. But indeed, the other option of being angry exists, and so we pray that you would give us grace, Lord, and that you will help us through this time, that we may consider in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, guys, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and I'll catch you Monday for the 25th verse and following, Can This Be the Christ? Take care.